0: Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in uh, Luke's Gospel and chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and reading verses 8 to 11. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. If you remember, last Sunday we were introduced to this man Simon, the brother of Andrew. And upon meeting Simon, Jesus had told him that from now on he would be, ca- he would be called Uh, Peter, meaning rock. It was an indication that Jesus had a plan, had a purpose, had a calling for this man, Simon. But that was all that Jesus had said to him on this particular occasion. He had given no indication of what his plan, what his purpose, what his calling on Peter's life would be. Uh, Today we're continuing our studies in the life of Peter, and we're going to consider the calling that Jesus presents to him here in Luke chapter 5. We're looking at it under three headings, faith, fear, and following. Faith, fear, and following. First, you have faith. Look at verses 1 to 5. Here, Luke focuses on Peter's faith in Jesus. We can begin by noting the setting in verse 1. Luke tells us that Jesus was standing at the lake of Gennesaret. Uh, That was the Sea of Galilee. It was an area where fishing played a major part in the local economy. At the northern end of this lake was the town of Capernaum, where Jesus conducted much of his early ministry. And Luke tells us that Jesus was teaching a crowd. He was proclaiming the word of God to them. Uh, This was a word about God, but it was also a word that had come from God. And the crowd we read were pressing in on him to hear that word. They don't want to hear the wisdom of men. They don't want to see any gimmicks. They don't want to be entertained by interesting stories or by upbeat songs. They want to hear the word of God that Jesus is preaching, that Jesus is proclaiming. And that brings us to Jesus' first command in verses 2 and 3. Luke tells us that Jesus saw two boats by the lake, verse 2. They're empty. The the fishermen to whom they belonged have gone off to wash their nets and mend their nets after a long night at sea. And Luke tells us that Jesus got into one of the boats in verse 3. This particular boat belonged to Simon. And now Jesus gets into Simon's boat, into Peter's boat, and he commands him to put out a little from land. Peter obliges, and from there, Jesus continues to teach the crowd. He uses this boat, uses this humble vessel as the pulpit from which he proclaims the unsearchable riches of the word of God. It reminds me a little of when I had to use old boxes and peels when preaching to a congregation in the north of Sutherland. They had no building, they had no lectern. And so you just had to assemble all these Michael will know the kind of creels and and boxes that these fishermen had and you'd have them all assembled and you'd preach the word of God uh, from, from that location. But you know, friends, the word of God isn't limited to ornate pulpits. It isn't limited to beautiful lecterns. The word of God can go out from any place. And we hear Jesus' second command in verses four and five. After preaching, Jesus gives Peter two instructions in verse four. He is to take the boat into the deep waters, and at once he gets there, he is to let down his nets for a catch. And it's at that point that Peter speaks in verse five. He addresses Jesus as master. It's a term of respect, and he claims that he and those with him have toiled all night. I'm sure that none of us would like to receive on-the-job advice from someone from a different line of work. You would be less than impressed if I sauntered into your workplace and said to you, here's what you should be doing and, and here's how you can do it a little better. And Peter's the same. You can see him bristling at what Jesus is saying. There is one thing that Peter knew about and that was fishing. And he effectively says to Jesus on this occasion, Master, You stick to the teaching and leave the fishing to me. But Peter isn't finished because he goes on to say, But at your word, I'll let down the net. He had heard his brother's testimony that we looked at last week, where his brother Andrew had said, We have found the Messiah. And maybe, just maybe, this Messiah, this Jesus, might be able to do something on this occasion. Peter is displaying a small glimmer of trust in Jesus and His Word. At your word, He says, I'll let down the net. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, I want us to focus on Peter's faith. Jesus has told him to go out into the deep, to let down His nets for a catch. From a human perspective, that seems to be incredibly foolish. Peter has his doubts, but he does what Jesus says. There's a frail faith, a slender faith, a weak faith. But it's a weak faith, a frail faith, a slender faith in Jesus and in His Word. And that is so important for us to hear today. Maybe you're here today and you feel that your faith is weak, you feel that your faith is frail, you feel that your faith is slender. Maybe you're here today and you feel that the past two and a half years have have stretched you thin. They They have stretched you to the limit. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what Jesus is doing in my life anymore. But at the same time, you have that weak faith, that frail faith. That slender faith that is still rooted in Jesus and in his word. And if your faith is rooted in Jesus, no matter how weak, frail, how thin it might be, then that is enough. The gospel presents us with a Jesus who responds, yes, to great faith, but also to weak faith. The gospel presents us with a Jesus who saves those who have a strong faith, but also a very slender faith. The Gospel presents us with a Jesus who says that what ultimately counts isn't the quality of our faith, it isn't the condition of our faith, it's the object of our faith, where our faith is rooted, where our faith is resting, where our faith is planted, where our faith is placed. And my friend, if your faith is rooted and resting on Jesus, then that's all that matters. If it's rooted in Jesus, that's all that matters. You know, I find it so concerning when you have so many people speculating about the Queen and her salvation. Was she saved? Was she not saved? Do you know what? There is a woman who is speaking about her faith in Jesus. And maybe she wasn't articulating the Westminster Confession of Faith. Maybe she wasn't at the Wednesday night prayer meetings. Maybe she hadn't had some mystical encounter or experience crossing the minch, But if her faith was in Jesus, then that is enough. I hope, friends, that you see that as good news. I hope that you see that as a calming word of reassurance when you might be tempted to despair over the condition and quality of your faith. If you have a weak faith, a frail faith, a slender faith in Jesus and his word. That's enough. But we move from faith to fear in verses 6 to 10. Here Luke focuses on Peter's faith and fear of Jesus. Verses 6 and 7, Luke records the catch. Luke begins by describing the catch in verse 6. Peter has taken the boat into the deep waters. He has let down his nets and suddenly the nets enclose and they gather a large number of fish. It is so large that the nets cannot close. It is more than the nets can handle. It's, It's an incredible catch. And Luke emphasises the size of the catch. Look at verse 7. Peter and those with him signal to their partners who are in another boat. And they say, come and help us. We are struggling. The other boat come along. And they start filling their boats. And the boats are so full that both the boats now begin to sink. What's been made clear is that a miraculous event has taken place. We don't know whether Jesus had some supernatural knowledge that these fish would come. We don't know if Jesus commanded that the fish would come. What has been clear, though, is that this is a supernatural event that Jesus has charge over, that Jesus is control over. Jesus has said, let down your nets for a catch. They've let down their nets and they've got the catch of a lifetime. And in verses 8 to 10, Luke records the reaction to that event. We have the reaction of Peter in verse 8. He sees the catch of fish. Now, now Peter is an experienced fisherman. And maybe some of you are experienced fishermen. He looks at the catch and he does the calculations. He, He knows the size of the catch and he knows the value of the catch. But he also knows that events like this don't just happen. He had toiled all night, caught nothing. And now a few hours later, he's catched this large catch of fish. He knows that something extraordinary has taken place. And he responds by falling before Jesus' knees and calling him Lord. That title Lord could be a term of respect like Sir. But Luke uses it 30 times in his gospel to refer to the Lord God. Peter sees Jesus as a divine figure. As a deity, as one who is powerful, as one who is preeminent. And he cries out, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Do you remember in Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah is confronted with the power and majesty of the Lord. And he cries out, woe is me. I am undone. I am coming apart. I am falling apart because my eyes have seen the Lord. And here is Peter. And he has been confronted with the power and majesty of the Lord. And he says, You've got to go. What are you doing, Lord, with someone like me? That's Peter's reaction. And then look at the reaction of those who are with him in verses 9 and 10. Luke tells us that they, along with Peter, were astonished at the catch. And Luke highlights that James and John were present. James and John were the sons of Zebedee. And they were Peter's business partners. They're going to form the inner circle of Jesus' followers along with Peter. They're there, full of astonishment. Now friends, as we focus on these verses, I want us to consider Peter's fear. This was a catch of a lifetime for Peter. He had never seen anything like this and he is left astonished. But he's also overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed by the greatness of Jesus and overwhelmed by the greatness of his sin. He sees Jesus as the powerful one, as the majestic one, as the Lord and he feels too unworthy, he feels too sinful to be in the presence of the Lord, to be in the presence of Jesus. He sees himself as not worthy to be near this holy one and that ought to be true of ourselves. In his book, Rejoice and Tremble, Mike Reeves writes, in the presence of the Lord, everyone trembles. Overcome by the tremendousness of his glory, people are so overwhelmed they think they will die. Can I ask you, friends, have we trembled in the presence of Jesus? Have we felt undone by the holiness of Jesus? Have we been overwhelmed and overcome by the weight of his glory? The gospel makes it clear, we have sung it already, that Jesus is the one who is gentle and lowly. He's the friend of sinners. He's the one who takes the children in his arms. He's the one who... Carries his people close to himself. He's the one who, who doesn't break a bruised wreath, doesn't quench a smouldering wick. He's the one who's moved with compassion when he sees the harassed and the helpless. He's the one who lays down his life out of joyful love for his people. But you know the gospel also makes it clear that this same Jesus, the friend of sinners, is the Lord of glory. He's the Son of Man, He's the Almighty God. He's the righteous judge of the living and the dead. He's the one whose eyes are like blazing fire. The one whose feet are like burnished bronze. The one whose voice is so powerful that it's like the sound of a rushing waterfall. This is the Jesus of scripture. A Jesus of incomparable, indescribable greatness. And when we come face to face with him, we come face to face with the greatness of our sin. The greatness of our unworthiness. I ask you this morning, is this the Jesus whom, whom you have encountered? The Jesus who just takes your breath away. The Jesus who eclipses every person, every position, every problem. The Jesus whose power and, and majesty leaves you feeling undone. Are we responding to Jesus with faith, tinged with fear? But then third and finally we come to following. Look at verses 10 and 11. And here Luke focuses on Peter following Jesus. Verse 10, Luke records two words that Jesus gave to Peter and to those who were with him. The first is a word of comfort. Jesus sees the awe of these men, the astonishment of these men, and he doesn't rebuke them. Neither does he recoil from them. Instead, he speaks to them and he says, don't be afraid. He's the saviour who has come to say, don't be afraid to those who think they don't deserve to come into his presence. He's the saviour who's come to say, don't be afraid to those who think that they are too guilty for him. Are you here today and you feel too guilty for Jesus? Are you here today and you think, I don't know if I can come near to Jesus. He's the Savior who says, don't be afraid. He's the Savior who's come to offer forgiveness and grace to those who feel their sin. These men are terrified and Jesus gives them a word of comfort, gives them a word of consolation. But there is more than a word of comfort, there is more than a word of consolation, there is a word of commission. There is a word of calling. Jesus continues speaking and he says, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Up until this point, Peter's whole life had been spent on the boats. Catching fish. But now, his life is going to be spent catching men. That's the calling. That's the plan. That's the purpose that Jesus has for him. Peter is going to spend the rest of his life drawing men to Jesus. Going into deep waters, as it were, to find people for Jesus. And Luke closes by focusing on the response of Peter and those who are with him in verse 11. We read that they brought their boats to land, and then look at the very end, they left everything. They leave their boats, they leave their nets. They leave this huge catch. They leave their ambitions. They leave their aspirations. They leave their safety. They leave their security. They leave behind the right to call their lives their own. And Luke tells us that they follow after Jesus. The priority of their lives is no longer their boats. The priority of their lives is no longer their fishing business. The priority of their lives is now Jesus and following after Jesus. They have heard his word of comfort. They have then heard his word of calling. And they respond by giving him the central, prominent, preeminent place in their lives. They follow after him. Well friends, as we focus on these verses, I want us to see the way in which Peter left everything to follow Jesus. Luke often uses the language of following when speaking about the Christian life. Later in this chapter, Jesus goes up to a man called Levi, sees him sitting at his tax booth, and he says to him, follow me. And Levi gets up and he follows Jesus. Then in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke chapter 18, we read, Jesus said, if anyone would come after, Jesus said, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. As far as Luke is concerned, the Christian life isn't about our feelings as much as it's about our simply following after Jesus. You know, friends, there are some days I feel very close to Jesus. But if I was to be honest with you, there are also some days I feel very far from Jesus. And regardless of whether I feel near to Jesus or feel far from Jesus, I am still called to follow Jesus. That's what it's all about, isn't it? And that's what Peter does here. He follows Jesus. Jesus. And he doesn't simply follow Jesus. He leaves everything behind to follow Jesus. He has a a new priority in his life. He has come to understand what Thomas Chalmers meant by the expulsive, explosive power of a new affection. Jesus has gripped his vision. Jesus is the one of all surpassing worth. And he is willing to give up anything and everything to follow after Jesus. And that is so important, friends, for us to grasp. Many people say they want to follow after Jesus, but there are certain things they don't want to let go of, certain things they don't want to give up. It might be a sinful pleasure, it might be a selfish ambition, it might be a bitter grudge against someone who has done them wrong in the past, it might be a precious idol that is not bad in and of itself, but which dominates all that they think, all that they do, all that they say, and they try to lug around whatever it is while also trying to follow Jesus. Jesus. Can you just imagine for a minute, if Peter came out of his boat, started following after Jesus, and at the same time, he's trying to lug the boat behind him full of fish. He would never have got very far in the road of discipleship. And the same is true for ourselves. We are never going to get very far on the road of discipleship. We are never going to get very far when it comes to following Jesus if we're trying to lug around something else that is giving, that we are giving the prime, prominent place to. Lick and Duncan writes, I don't know a message more timely for us today because Jesus called for us To leave everything and follow him is not his call just to a unique group of super apostles at the beginning of Christianity. It is not just a call to people who are going to be deacons or elders or leaders in the church. It is not just a call for ministers or missionaries. The call to leave everything and follow him is the call of Jesus to every disciple. It is a call to recognise that everything else does not equal to Jesus. That Jesus is greater than everything else. And that therefore Jesus is worth leaving everything else behind to follow after. And that's something I have to frequently remind myself of. Would I be willing to give up everything and anything to follow after Jesus wherever he calls me to? Here's one I have. Would I be willing to give up ministry in Stornoway if Jesus said, I want you to plant a church in the central belt? Now, right now, the prospect of living in the central belt, the prospect of planting a church, I'm like, no way. But if Jesus said, will you go, am I willing to go? Is there anything or anyone that has a larger place in my heart and life than Jesus? Can I truly say, is Jesus my priority? Is Jesus my passion? And so as we close, I want to ask the question, are you following after Jesus? Are you following after Jesus? Or is it possible that there is something that you are still trying to drag around that is competing with him? My great longing for the high free is that people would look at us and say, they're all about Jesus. My great longing is that people would look at the high free and say, they're all in. They, they don't hold back when it comes to Jesus. My great longing for the high free. Is that we would be known as those whose great priority. Great interest. Great treasure. Is Jesus. And that we would follow him. As individuals. And as a congregation. Wherever he goes. Whatever. The cost. So I ask you Friends. Are you following after Jesus?